ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That's Lance's part. <laughs> Welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. <laughs> Kyle, ah, almost spilled my coffee. Kyle Haas. Is that right or Haas? Hass. No, Haas. Hass. I got yep. it right. Yep, yes. You got it right. Okay. So our, um, how can I say this? The because you're gonna you're like a regular on the show. What would be like you're a regular a special guest, not a one time a re, special returning guest. Uh, our resident. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> our resident, uh, hopeful agnostic. Is that how you? Uh, I I don't know what I classify myself really. <laughs> I I told somebody the other day because I'm trying to come up with a title for myself, and I said they said, well, what where are you? Are you 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 still a Christian? <laughs> And I said, I said, you know, maybe I would be considered an agnostic Christian because, as you know, I still go to church. Yeah, I go I go to a Methodist church that's, you know, definitely liberal leaning so that they don't teach that the Bible is factual, meaning that, you know, Jonah wasn't actually swallowed by a fish and like. Or at least they allow for that. They allow for the room there which is very helpful for me because I definitely don't believe that. And I, there's a lot of other things I don't believe uh, that you would have to believe as factual. If you believe the Bible in that way, how I was raised the inerrant un incorruptible, same. You, yeah. The inerrant word of God, yeah. divinely inspired. Yeah. Yeah. In, infallible, no mistakes ever right. anywhere. Um, so, and especially the King James, which is what Jesus, right. Read. That, that's the, he wrote it actually. <laughs> he wrote the I, King I heard James. that actually. That's right. Um, that is a funny side note there. So what was I, what was I saying? What was I getting to? Oh, you're the resident agnostic. I was trying to give a title <laughs> to myself. There we go. So yeah, I'm, because I'm not, I'm not a classic Christian. I'm not agnostic. You know, I go to church every Sunday. Right. So I still, you know, believe in God and love the heart or the spirit of the message of Jesus. I believe he was a real person. Then from there, that everything else that you would say about Jesus, I would say, I don't know. I doubt. I don't think he was born of a virgin. I don't think right. that he was the son of God any more than we're all the son of God, right. it, so to speak. Because I still believe that God had his hand in creation in somehow, some way. So today, which is why you're here, is you are super knowledgeable about evolution, or at least way more knowledgeable than I am. You're like, no, I'm not, Timmy. <laughs> yeah, if you're out there and you're an expert in evolution, look me up, tweet me, Twitter at me, whatever, how you can get a hold of me. Let's, let's all have you on. We can call you and just, you know, bring you in into the conversation uh, because it's been fascinating that, you know, I grew up Christian. I promise people I'm going to shut up and let Kyle talk here in a second. Uh, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home, as people know, Bible's literal, it's factual, 6,000 6, years ago, God actually created everything, the entire universe, right. all the planets, all of it, everything, which is a lot, there's a lot, there's a, <laughs> a lot, lot fucking out there, uh, did all that, you know, in the six days, and then he, you know, he slept or rested or took a coffee break or smoke break, maybe, I don't know, for the seventh day. And then, you know, then there's the Adam and Eve story, you know, one white, one Caucasian male, one Caucasian <laughs> female. And voila, Kyle, you have all the races, all the species. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, this all brings me to what I hope is going to be a fabulous conversation, because these are things that as I began to learn and understand as 
factual Neanderthals, Denisovans, like all of the yeah. species of humans that I didn't even know existed because the Bible didn't talk about it. Kyle didn't mention I only know the Bible. I only yeah. know the Bible, brother. I don't anything outside the Bible <laughs> just isn't true. Come on. That's the way it is. Anything in the Bible is true. Everything outside the Bible is theory. So once I started learning, oh, no, these aren't theories. These are facts like this is a fact. Um, it started fucking with my narrative yeah, of yeah, the Adam and Eve story. <laughs> like it just started. And then, of course, archaeological finds that date back, you know, then you start going, well, if if humans were created 6000 years ago, how do we have art in caves that go back 300,000 years? Yeah. Uh, well, it's because carbon dating is a lie, Kyle. It's not real. It's fake. It's something that science has created to just know, demolish the whole idea of God. And that could be, I honestly, I can't, I can't really argue carbon dating, uh, chemistry and physics, not my strong point, but Shit, that's what I brought you here for. <laughs> <laughs> I do love biology, so I can answer questions about that hopefully, but well, I think the, the, the reason I did want to talk to you and we're going to talk some political stuff towards the end, but we want to give the people what they want. Um, and it's this whole, um, I thought the pictures we grew up with in school, they were so comical, a full blown, you know, chip chimpanzee or ape or whatever, slightly becoming more erect, you know, standing up, right. not sexual excitement, but <laughs> you know, standing up upright or whatever they, whatever <laughs> they call that pineal, uh, pineal. No, I'm not when sure. You're bipedal. Oh, bipedal. Yeah. Bipedal. Oh, it means. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm learning, learning some of the tech, the technical terms. So then it's like, it's just from chimpanzee. Then it, you know, graduates up to human. Well, that's actually not accurate. No. Now science is discovered and I forget what the word, what they call it, but it, it's like a tree. Yeah. Evolutionary, uh, evolutionary. family tree sort yeah. of. So anyway, explain, explain some of that. So, because that's a new thought for me. I thought that was still the uh, literally just learned this week that I thought that was still the, that we descended from apes and that's not entirely accurate in the way that we think of it. No. So, well, first of all, we didn't evolve from chimpanzees. We share a common ancestor with chimpanzees. Okay. And Which, based, what does that mean? So it means that at some point in both of our evolutionary histories, we forked off into two separate branches from one single species okay. and so which i think they kind of already knew so like the uh i think we're called the hominini tribe of apes and that includes us australopithecines and chimpanzees um forked off of the i think they're the hominini i don't know the words get very similar sure, sure but those are gorillas and so uh our evolutionary line forked off of great apes in Africa specifically, as opposed to great apes in Asia, which would be like orangutans. And then you have the lesser apes like gibbons that lived elsewhere too. But so we share a common ancestor with chimpanzees, but we evolved separate from each other from this common ancestor and this common ancestor, I think they believe lived in the jungle and was maybe more akin to a chimp, but, uh, based on some of the newest findings that they've had of uh, certain Australopithecus specimens where they've had more complete skeletons, it would seem to indicate that this ancestor was actually more like a gorilla than what we would have maybe originally thought it being more chimp-like. And yeah. so we probably forked off of this common ancestor roughly 7 million years ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, 
not necessarily the classic model. And then, of course, I think also the big misunderstanding between like finding a missing link between ape and human. Right. The missing link was that debunked. Right. It's a misnomer in and of it's itself right. because right. we're apes. Right. There right. is no. Right. Right. It's like, you know, what's the missing link between a dog and a dog? Like, there isn't one. It's just right. a dog. You know? Right. Uh, but as far as like transitional species, uh, there are a lot. And there are also a lot of evolutionary dead ends, so to speak. Uh, species that, you well, know, 99% of all animals or species are extinct. Yeah. Yeah. That is shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Why would God do that? Create something just to have it to go extinct. Oh, I thought everything was created with purpose. Fun. You know, watch. Huh. <laughs> yeah, let's just have them rule the earth for like 300 million years and then fucking kill them off with an asteroid. Yeah. Well, you get to keep creating that way, you know, make new stuff, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But so, and I mean, I think when they're piecing together the specific human evolutionary tree, like they have some that they think are probably our ancestors, some that are good candidates, and then some that are probably very clearly sort of forking paths off of our evolutionary line. And so, you know, I think the earliest uh, species that we can call human, and not even definitively, because there's been a debate on whether or not it should be considered Nostralopithecus, is Homo habilis. And it was a very uh, primitive species in terms of uh, dentition, brow ridges, chins, and um, other you know, size, femoral structures. Or, yeah. Brain, you know. But they're also kind of speculating maybe it was a forking path because there was another contemporary species with it that had certain characteristics that were more similar to anatomical humans, but. Even that's kind of a weird thing. So there was a, a debate, I want to say, in the uh, 2000s where they found a new specimen called a Roran. And I think it's like, I don't remember the species name. It's like Tungan, I don't know, it's, it's a nightmare of name. But, uh, and it predated most of the Australopithecus remains by about a million years. But it had, uh, well, it was a micronaut which is it has to do with our dentition size and enamel and you know how big our molars are more yeah, or less where shape of the teeth right yeah. right which is more akin to what we have we have small molars whereas australopithecus was a megadon they had big molars so if they came after and they had more you know gorilla like features we'll say than human like features then this older species well people thought well maybe then you know, we actually evolved from this. Australopithecus was a forking branch. But evolution doesn't always happen that way, you know. Sorry, I got a bit of a sinus infection at the current <laughs> moment. I'm trying not to. Uh, yeah. uh, but so there's a process called convergent evolution. And uh, this basically is a phenomenon that we see in different species that aren't related or even species that could be related, but you see different features arise at different times because the environment supports that. And so like one classic example is like wolves and then um, uh, an extinct animal known as the Tasmanian tiger. The Tasmanian tiger is a marsupial and it looked very similar to a wolf, but marsupials and placental mammals diverged on their evolutionary path. Like, hundred million years ago, a long time ago. So they like, can't interbreed. No, they cannot even come close. Like yeah. they diverged in the time of the dinosaurs. So, oh. but because those same features were still beneficial, 
in both scenarios and they both fulfilled a similar sort of role in the environment they both ended up developing much of the same features because evolution takes the path of least resistance and so i think when it came to the auroran specimen they looked at some other features that were definitely more primitive and more dated than the australopithecus and they said you know it could be that it was a predecessor to the australopithecus it could be that it was a forking path we don't really know where to place it yet but there are things that australopithecus on average has more akin to us than this does and so there's been a lot of debate and i've seen a lot of different proposed models for how they fit each species into our evolutionary tree yeah um so yeah and in preparation for this i watched a ton of thank god for youtube man yeah. i really like it um but i watched uh, hours and hours and hours I don't even know, 20, 30 hours this week of videos on evolution and just all the different factors of it and gave me a much better uh, grasp on it, made a lot more sense right. than it ever had before or how I was told at my church what evolution was. Um, like it definitely just cleared up some of the fog, cleared right. some of the fog. Like I want, like a, I'm going to be all over the place with this whole idea on evolution, because there's so many different factors, you know, just even the dinosaurs and why and where are they now? Obviously, they're the birds, you know, yeah. what I've heard, or as they say. Um, but it, it's just a... Um, the, what was the thing that they said? I was under the assumption that, like, a giraffe w kept stretching its neck <laughs> to, to reach, you know, food. Therefore the next generation of giraffes would have longer necks from the stretching of the previous. And, and that's not how it works at what, what it is. Those with taller necks do better. It's right. a genetic, they pass down that genetic, just like if, if there was only food for them on the ground, then those with shorter necks right. would do better at surviving. Therefore their genes would then spread into the future. It's not that, Oh, our necks need to grow. Well, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball at you, actually. Um, there's a process known as epigenetics, and it has to do with the day, the way DNA uh, folds. Yeah. And so you actually could pass on things that you develop yourself. So, like, oh, really? If you work out and get super jacked, there's a possibility you could pass it on to your kids. Epigenetics is kind of this new no, weird thing. I know thing. epigenetics. Bruce Lipton? I don't think. Oh, I he's teaches all about epigenetics. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's kind of this weird thing of there are things that you can encounter in your life that, you know, you weren't necessarily born with, but you develop and those could still be out. Now, whether or not that translates to a, a draft stretching. So Kyle, but. everybody is on pins and needles thinking to themselves. So if I get a boob job, my daughter will have bigger <laughs> boobs. <laughs> Yes, they will this grow is unbelievable. silicon implants. So if there. I use a penis pump, my son will have a big... <laughs> Some people... You're like, Timmy, this conversation <laughs> went south quick. <laughs> went from evolution to what? <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, well, that is throwing a curveball at me because I... I yeah, I, they didn't mention that part. I need to watch. keep watching more and more videos. I mean, it, it's, it's probably a lot, more, a lot more nuanced than that. I'm probably butchering that because I didn't even about epigenetics yeah. until a few years ago but uh yeah it was still something interesting but yeah for the most part natural selection works the giraffe that's able to reach the food has a greater success uh 
chance of success and passing on yeah. his DNA. And so eventually, you know, they yeah. fill that that sort of niche that they need to fill. And sure. Isn't that wild that they there was one of the videos talked about this. And I thought it was very they talk talk about the the uh, not the strong survive, but where it's the ah shit. Anyway, basically that as we evolve, that we don't uh, always evolve for the right down the right path. We don't always, for example, the giraffes, uh, the ones with longer necks get more food so that they pass on their genes because they are the ones that survive because they right. Well, then if there's some event where all the tall trees are destroyed and all you have is short trees, all of a sudden they evolved into a niche that no longer exists. Right. Yeah. Which begs to question why are 99% of all animals extinct? That is, like that <laughs> fucks with my whole brain too, with the, everything God does is good and he created was good. Well, like why didn't he protect the fucking animals? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. He, uh, the flood really, he, he I'm making an assumption, right? That there yeah. even is a God clearly. <laughs> I mean, he didn't definitely put them all on the ark anyway. We can, we can definitely say that. Like if 99% are dead, he said, fuck you to like most of them. <laughs> yeah. So, Where's that in the story? <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> Listen, we can only fit like 10 of you on here. <laughs> this boat is way, it gets gotten way bigger over the centuries. It's become a legend. Yeah. It was actually a little fucking bass boat. <laughs> it's <laughs> like the said. dinosaurs, they can swim. They got really long necks and then turns out they drown. So yeah. Yeah. that, that whole story anyway, <laughs> oh, brother. Anyway, what were you saying? I'm sorry. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, yeah, that's the process of natural selection in kind of a nutshell that, you know, if you have a beneficial characteristic, there's a good chance that's going to get passed on. You're going to have a competitive edge against, you know, interspecies sort of competition. Yeah. And even, you know, fulfilling a specialized niche, so long as that niche exists, can aid in a species survival. I mean, you know, you have koalas that eat only eucalyptus, which is poisonous, yet they just... I guess at some point in their evolutionary history said, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> We're going to kick this thing's ass. Right. But nothing else eats eucalyptus. So yeah, if the eucalyptus trees die, they're gone, but on, they don't really have any other competition for their food source. And so that's why it's kind of beneficial for them to turn that into a food source. And so that's fascinating. Do you realize it would have to be true that evolution is an ongoing continuous thing? Yes. So, a million years from now like what i wonder will humans look like if there's not a cataclysmic event so that's and that seems not even feasible but i was kind of mentally preparing myself for this question because uh, I, I knew like that's kind of like the that's the question even you know i've asked myself and the thing is is that we may not look any different now we may still be genetically different in the sense that you know we may not be able to necessarily interbreed with people a million years from now just because of a process known as genetic drift where you know you and i we have mutations unique to us it happens at some point in embryo development when the dna starts to replicate there are just natural errors that occur in gene sequences so you have dna that your parents don't have um so you know a million years from now those changes are still happening within the population so our genetics are still going to be somewhat different even if overall what we're doing is largely the same and a good uh example of this are crocodiles right you look at a crocodile from 150 million years ago and you look at a crocodile today 
there's not a lot of difference. Right? Fascinating. But if you were to resurrect one from yes, you know, from a million years ago, it would probably, you know, have different color patterns and maybe slightly different features, and it would still be considered, you know, definitely a different species. But they're fulfilling much the same role that they've always fulfilled, and there hasn't been much of a pressure apparently for them to really change. And so, you know, we look at ourselves and we look at how we've kind of, I wouldn't say a hundred percent ruled out environmental pressures, but we're at a point where our species exists in a certain kind of luxury that on a genetic level, there may not be much external influencers to push us to change. Now there's another process known as sexual selection where people, you know, find certain traits for whatever reason, sexually desirable. And so, you know, that can be influenced by culture and things like that. Yeah. So that, oh, yeah. May- I mean, you see that with the way women are portrayed, you know, Marilyn Monroe days, they were thicker, more, you know, a little bit more roly poly, which right. is beautiful. And then now, well, maybe not now, but you know, 10 years ago, yeah. whatever it was, Sam Anderson was super the, fucking yeah. skinny with the big fake breasts. Like that was the thing. Yeah. Now, now I don't know. It's like kind of a fit. It's all over the map now. Everybody's yeah. there's all these fetishes and people are into all kinds of things. Who knows? But yeah. Anyway, that, that that makes sense to me. And I, I did hear that in one of the videos that I was uh, watching that they talked about the alligators really haven't changed over the 150 million years. But they said they probably couldn't mate. Yeah, yeah, because there's enough genetic difference between them. Yeah, just like we can't mate with chimpanzees. That's all, they're 98 percent the same. We're the same. 98 yeah. percent, only two percent difference. Yeah, yeah, uh, and well. I don't know. I've watched some weird documentaries on whether or not someone has like artificially inseminated chimpanzees. China and I think Russia both tried. Are you so serious? is and the same as Germany. I guess they also unsuccessful though. Unsuccessful. Um but I don't know. I don't know how much like we look at some other hybrid animals and I'm not sure the time distance between them, like, you know, donkeys and horses, when did they split from a common ancestor? Clearly they can interbreed. Yeah. Uh, oh, they can interbreed? Yeah, it's a mule. Oh, I've learned something just right now. Donkeys and horses can get it on. Yeah. And the offspring's a mule. And then, of course, the mule is mostly sterile. So they can't reproduce. Uh, I think there is a very low percentage chance that they can. Wow. But they also think that that was the case between us and Neanderthals. So for the most part, the hybrid offspring would have been sterile, but there was a small percentage chance that the offspring could reproduce. And that's why there's still a small percentage of Neanderthal DNA in us today. Yeah. Was it two to 6% or I think a total of two to maybe 8% of the Neanderthal genome is preserved in essentially white people everywhere. But on average, most people don't have more than 2%. I found that interesting that, yeah, African-American doesn't have. No. uh, Well, and that's because, you know, unless, well, just limited by geography, Neanderthal lived in, uh, you know, sort of Eastern Europe to, you know, Western Europe, I think maybe in some places in France. I could be wrong on that. I don't remember how far West they made it. But, and of course, I think there was even some overlap into Asia uh, in the Altai mountain range. Which I'm not entirely sure what that is yeah, either. Some Den- Denisovans. And- yeah, so Neanderthal and Denisovan interbred. Yeah, and they actually have genetic evidence of that too, and they were probably more closely related to each other than they were to us. Yeah. Um, so, 
Yeah, but that's that's fascinating. Yeah, I find that. Yeah, I have a friend that uh, did the twenty three you and me or whatever the. Yeah, I did is. that too. <laughs> and he had three percent Neanderthal, and he's a bodybuilder. Yeah, he's like super big. So it was like <laughs> I was like, well, of course you're fucking Neanderthal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you look a lot like that. So I think I I did twenty three and me, and I think I have like around two percent. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy which is, which is funny because it's like the genetics that you're supposed to have gotten from it are supposed to make you a little bit shorter and you're supposed to maybe have lighter colored hair and i'm six two and i have dark hair so <laughs> oh, see i've wondered if i probably have some neanderthal because my family's from or my on my dad's side of the family is from uh, uh stock stockholm sweden is that europe no Wait, yeah sweden is in sweden okay western europe western europe okay um, and that's the, that's what they say a high a high percentage of Neanderthal comes from Europe. Yeah. Um, yeah, and maybe Asia too. Okay. Yeah. And so I thought that was just, yeah. I'm I'm I would be I wouldn't be shocked if I I should do the test. I should do it because I would really be like to. Yeah. I mean, if like you're if you're a white guy, you probably have Neanderthal. Yeah. Guy. And blonde. Yeah. 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 And my my biological father was uh, short, super stocky, and a champ wrestler. A college collegiate a collegiate wrestler and then his brothers or at least wendell his other brother my uncle was a state champ in nebraska oh. Call, yeah and has held records um still i think as far as i know till still to this day his name is up on the wall mm. uh they call his nickname was the python but he also wasn't super he wasn't he wasn't short my biological father i think was only like five nine i think his brother wendell I think he may have been like six foot. I think Neanderthal were really only maybe an inch or two shorter than the average height that was common back then. Okay. So, I mean, they were shorter and they were definitely heavier bodied. Like I think on average yeah, they did way strong. more. Yeah. Definitely more muscle mass and probably more fat mass just given where they lived. It was, you know, the ice age and they lived in, you know, uh, very cold places. But yeah, when you see their nasal cavity, you know, on, on, uh, it's amazing how big they said it worked like a radiator. Yeah. They had their nasal cavity was so huge that they could, you know, keep the body warm. Um, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. And I think I also heard that they think their vision was better than ours too. Like they were able to see further off in the distance than we could. Yeah. Um, could be wrong on that right, one. Yeah. But I think I remember reading it. It sounds somewhere. cool. It does sound cool. <laughs> it's probably not true, but yeah. man, that'd be cool. Hey, I could just speak in a very matter of fact tone and make a whole up a whole bunch of shit. Uh, they had a laser that came out of their forehead that would <laughs> it's like, wait, what did he just say? <laughs> wait, rewind that fucking podcast. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's 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 been really fascinating um to allow myself the um uh, freedom to to investigate and look at those things you know i i don't um i just never want to be the person that denies facts and, and you know and i've said this a million times people maybe get tired of me saying it but you know i grew up my sunday school class they said the dinosaur bones came from the from the devil you right. know they were fake to deceive you know people and i just don't want to be that kind of a a person potential possible christian agnostic christian whatever i might end up being i, I at least want to be a thinking 
person that uses reason mm -hmm. and logic and facts along with my faith. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't mind at all inserting God where there are no facts or inserting God where there are mysteries, inserting mm -hmm. God where there are, well, we don't fucking know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like we literally don't know. Well, I don't, I don't, I have no trouble inserting God into that space, but then once then if there's a fact that proves that to not be true, I want to go with the truth, the facts. Right. <laughs> I, I'm not going to go with faith over facts. That would be, uh, you'd be a moron, a moronic <laughs> thought. Like, oh, uh, we have video that the earth is a sphere. Nope. I'm sticking to it. It's flat. Like what? That's, that's really kind of when you enter into like a culty kind of sphere, really, when you're in denial of things that you can blatantly see. Yeah, and I just don't understand that. And it 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 reminds me of that story of the guy that tells his friends, hey, I've got a, a dragon in my garage. And they're like, you do? Wow, we want to come see it. He goes, well, it's invisible. <laughs> they're like, oh, well, well, we'll come and we'll put flour on the ground so we can just see him move at least. No, 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 he floats. He doesn't touch the ground. Right, like, oh, well, bullshit. we have heat-seeking you know, goggles that I can get from work, you know, and We'll be able to, oh no, it's a cold, it's a cold dragon. Like, <laughs> you know, it just, it's like that. Yeah. I don't want to be that kind of Christian that just tries to debunk carbon dating or debunk scientific facts or debunk anything that then just makes you look like a non-thinking buffoon. So evolution, what else, what when did that start becoming a, a thing for you? I know that we have different upbringings in the sense of uh, you said you weren't super hung up on creation as the, the story when you became a Christian, that wasn't like the focus. And so you were a little bit more open to the whole idea of evolution pretty early on, even as a Christian. Yeah. So growing up, my, I loved animals. I watched Animal Planet. I had zoo books. We went to the Kansas City Zoo every year, sometimes multiple times a year. And, uh, you know, I think I wanted to be a veterinarian or do work with animals. And so, so you were so thankful for, for Noah. Yeah, I was. <laughs> Except for the 99% he let die. You know? <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> but, uh, no, I just, yeah, I mean, evolution was always a kind of topic in those spheres, and it was just kind of dropped somewhat casually because that was you know the accepted thing when you were talking about how animals came to be and of course you know i love dinosaurs too and oh, so i love dinosaurs who doesn't yeah yeah i don't know that that the, i don't want to know that person but uh so yeah for me it wasn't as much an issue when i became a christian because i don't know i think maybe just the assumption in christian circles was that people didn't believe it yeah. Almost like, so there was no, almost no need to talk about it. And here I was just sitting in the congregation, you know, like evolution's real, but God created the shit too. I don't know. You know, and I didn't really know much about the Bible at that point in time. And honestly, on like an academic level, I, I guess I was learning about evolution on a more, you know, uh, technical basis and like biology classes in high school. Like sure. I had bio, advanced bio, botany and zoology and, physiology and anatomy i took all of the biology classes for my science grads because i loved it but 
Yeah, there was just never really a discussion between how those two things were at conflict. And so it wasn't until I went off to college and uh, Central Bible College. Yeah, Central Missouri, Bible College. Which is where I went. Started. Uh, it's our alma mater. That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only. Are you my only friend? Yeah. From CBC? <laughs> uh, uh, no, I take that back. I have a friend that we don't talk much just because he, um, he you know. Because yeah. of the Christian thing, so. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, at CBC, I got good internet connection. And uh, ironically, I started debating with atheists. And I would kind no of... shit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Because uh, I love debate. I, I live for it. I get a high off of it. And, uh, you know, it, it's a little harder nowadays. I feel like the climate's a lot different. You can't really just have a debate without people having some kind of toxic reaction. But then it didn't really seem, for the most part, to be toxic. And I, you know, I kind of poked and prodded at people that were pro evolution just to kind of see what was there, but there was never really a disagreement per se, um, as much as it was kind of a devil's advocate of trying to play these things out. And I think that's also where a lot of my doubt began because as I was trying to see what this stuff really was, I kept getting good answers over and over again and when i had questions someone always had an answer and so like i think the big hang up for me was uh you know how life started and how can we prove that you know you know the primordial soup was struck by lightning and that created well they have didn't know that it's called uh, abiogenesis and there was some scientists i think in the 1900s who recreated the conditions that they thought would be early earth and what would have sort of started these organic compounds and they were able to make organic compounds. And I think I've heard different explanations as to what those organic compounds were. I think someone told me they were amino acids. Other people told me they were sort of uh, primitive organelles kind of things that you would find in Cause we cells. can't make organic materials. Can we? Well, we did here. Uh, not necessarily. No, I mean, we like as people, we, that's where the God element for me always comes in. Like, right. Like, life right and here we kind of made you know made the most primitive elements of life okay and so now we didn't organize them into cells and we don't really i think there's a lot of theories and a lot of ideas and hypotheses that you know how that came to be um usually just by membranes absorbing other things so like in our cells are we have eukaryotic cells um which consists of cell membrane, mitochondria, ribosomes, nucleus, cytoplasm, and all these other things. But within our cells, the mitochondria, which also have DNA, are very similar to bacteria. And so they think that, you know, these early precursors to eukaryotic cells absorb bacteria to improve their cellular function. And so I think the proposed theory is that, you know, early on, for whatever reason, these components, they just started collecting and absorbing and whether or not it was an intentional process or one by happenstance in the beginning. And eventually it became more, I need, I need that, you yeah. know, I don't know, but that's that, that's the mystery though, isn't it? Like I am, if they proved that there was no God somehow, I don't know how they could ever prove that. But I mean, if they were able to prove it much like we've proved other things, you know, like we used to think, 
only eat the egg whites, not the yolk. It's bad. Well, right. now we know. No, it's fine. You're fine. Like, yeah, you're it's good. good. Eat, eat the whole egg. So I know that, you know, science is a progression. You know, it's, it's a constantly uncovering or uh, discovering things that are true through, you know, testing and whatever. So I, I know with time, we'll discover more and more and more. Um, and we've discovered so many things that are just literally unbelievable. When you really <laughs> think about how unbelievable, you know, like we're sending that, the Ted, uh, the telescope that's, uh, replacing the Hubble. That's going to go a million miles from earth. You don't know about this. Uh-uh. <laughs> I've oh heard about gosh. that. Wow. You can learn something from me. <laughs> the, 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 it cost t- uh, $10 billion to build. It took 25 years to build. It was supposed to launch um, several years ago and through some issues they were having and needed to be more advanced technologically, they had to wait Mm. and it is going to be launched on December 22nd. Very cool. (laughs) I can't believe you didn't know this. And it's going to be able to, to peer into the earliest days of the universe. Um, which this is, again, this just blows my mind. But, you know, when you look out at the stars, you're not seeing the stars as they are. No. You're seeing the stars as they were. So you're looking into the past, right? Yeah, yeah, right? You're right, looking, you are. Right. Yeah. So this telescope is going to be 100 times Hubble. Oh, wow. <laughs> 100 times. In fact, if that telescope that we're launching a million miles from Earth that will orbit a million miles from earth that and it's using the power of the sun the shields anyway i'll show you a little short video on i can't believe you didn't know about this like the solar i think they're called solar sails or something yeah that's going to protect the core from the sun's heat and the rays and different things plus it'll move it you know the propel it anyway oh yeah yeah, that would be solar uh, it's fascinating but to be able to peer into the future and it's so good that from earth this particular telescope if if on earth could see a bumble a bumblebee's wings on the moon what <laughs> that's how awesome that's the telescope pretty gnarly is. Yeah. yeah anyway yeah i'm like i'm jazzed about this because it's going to give us a new perspective on the universe and help us discover life there's life out absolutely. there absolutely which that to me and i know we're talking about evolution but i think this is all part of it because that's the biggest, and I, I almost want to call my friend who's an atheist and get what his perspective is. And I might actually do that. Um, see about calling him and seeing if he'd want to come on the show. I'll give him a call here in a little bit and see if, and see if he wants to come on and we can ask him. So are you, I, you and I are probably not too far f- from each other. Um, which is again, where, where growth comes from. I was mm-hmm. saying this in my podcast the other day with Lance that growth only happens or do, growth doesn't happen when you're in an echo chamber. It doesn't happen if everybody, if we're all in 100% agreement, um, that's not helpful or healthy. And that would be true even politically, right? People think we want all Democrats, the whole world to be Democratic, (laughs) or we want a whole world to be Republican. No, you don't, you fucking moron. That's the stupidest thing ever. You want there to be balance. You want there to be a dissenting view. You want to be, have opposing beliefs. Well, and you know, like even in terms of evolution, things improve through competition, like yeah, you need that opposition to refine the better ideas and yeah. to, you know, sort of toss out the bad ones. You right. know, if you get a Republican and a Democrat who both agree on something, then chances are well, Jesus either has come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, or it could be good or it could be really corrupt, but you know, uh it's a yeah, you want that competition and I yeah. think it's healthy and I think having 
discussions where people challenge your way of thinking is integral to your growth as a person. Yeah. Well, I thought it was cool that you were saying that you as a Christian debated. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is crazy. So are you, are you, uh, where are you at? Is the, I mean, being agnostic ish means that maybe there's a God, maybe there's not like, you don't know, which I think everybody's agnostic. Truly, truly. Yeah. Cause no one knows. By faith, they know, but that's the only way they know. I think I classify myself more as agnostic, um, just in terms of my approach of the information. I think. So when it comes to evolution, like you think there's a God element, like. No, no, sorry. I think I'm talking more cultural interpretation of these terms as opposed to literal. So I call myself an agnostic because if I call myself an atheist, it kind of inspires a different mindset that I wouldn't say is explicitly accurate to me. Okay. Uh, and so I am open-minded, but I don't believe in a God, I guess you could say. And so it's like, I don't know if a God's out there, there could be, and maybe it's sort of the original mover. I kind of take the stance that, uh, you know, if there is a God, it's kind of the deist stance that it spun everything in motion and it maybe oriented these laws and rules, but it's not necessarily having a direct hand in like evolution or, oh gosh, no. you know, things like that. And so, yeah, I don't believe in a personal God that I can yeah. like ask him to have the chiefs win. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Who directly cares about the things you do. And yeah. And I, which is such a shift, isn't it? I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. No, it's such a shift though. Isn't it? I mean, to be raised Christian, the core of that belief is that Kyle, God loves you. He died. He sent his son to die for you. He thinks of you. He was, you were in his mind and you're in your mother's womb. I mean, it was like this constant teaching of your special, your God's, your, uh, you know what I mean? Right. Which I, I, you know, I still kind of wrestle with if a God does exist. Wouldn't it be interested in intelligent life? I would think so. You know, and so I think that's kind of the thing. But also, at the end of the day, it doesn't seem like God interacts with our life if he or she or they or yeah. Where were they them. in Kentucky? Yeah, or Missouri. The, I'm talking about the hurricane or the tornadoes. Yeah, you know, like yeah. And so, to me, <laughs> I, I think I maybe lean towards. The existence of a God is possible, but it's not necessarily the most likely or even explicitly necessary. So coming from nothing doesn't, that's the part that tilts my brain. I It tilts my brain too, but I think the God solution doesn't change the issue because God still came from nothing, you know, so to speak. And so... Well, yo, that's see, now you're fucking with my brain, right? Because it's like, right, if right. God it's, explains it's, all that we think exists, well, then who fucking created right. him? Right, you know, and so at some point you come to a place where things have just, have always had to be, and, you know, I think that there is maybe an answer in that, in the sense that time and space are tethered together, and time is somewhat mutable, so, like, if you... Well, if you've seen the movie Interstellar, for example, like yeah, they, very good movie. They go to this planet that's close to like the gravitational force of a black hole. Well, yeah. that planet, time progresses. Was it more quickly? It was slower. So when they slower, came back, yeah. they were still young. Everybody on Earth was right. older, and they've right. And they've also proved that like so they sense a clock in a plane. 
and they shot the plane around the world and they found that the faster you move through time, the slower you move through space. Or no, no, sorry, I got that flipped. The faster you move through space, the slower you move through time. Fascinating. And so, if you know, we're talking about the fabric of the universe and the initial singularity exploding out and time being sort of connected to all of that. There could be some sort of concept of eternity in there that is just not something that we can accurately grasp or measure just yet. And so, you know, it could be just that our perception of time and existence is so far from from complete that this all just seems super fucking weird and honestly right. even if we do get an answer for it it's still going to be super fucking weird right like, <laughs> like you look out like you just even consider everything that's happened on earth and you say you, you see all the building blocks of what's happened on earth and how it's happened and the fact that we exist at all and that's just mind-blowing it is mind-blowing but i think you know where a lot of people see you know it can't be coincidence kind of thing. Like I've heard a lot of times people right, the argue, tornado that goes through a, a parts store and, and right. after it's gone or through, it creates a plane. Even like, in the bigger, you know, kind of bigger scope of like, we live on a planet that's in the habitable zone of the sun. That's in the habitable zone of the galaxy that had all these building blocks that could allow all these things. And they're like, well, that can't be coincidence. That can't just be random chance. Random chance doesn't explain that. Usually the argument I hear, but when you have, hundreds of billions of galaxies it with makes more hundreds of trillions of stars. Might. Yeah. You know, you're playing a game of probability in a vast universe. Like there's probably even weirder shit out there that's yeah. happening that we haven't even observed yet. Right. So would you, would you be pretty confident? And if you were to put your money on there being life out there somewhere, would you put your bet on? Oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after the stuff, the Pentagon's released <laughs> in terms of them having materials, not of this earth. Yes. So, <laughs> Now, like, you know, I don't know. I think I made a joke on the first podcast where I looked at ancient aliens and I'm like, yeah, right. Now I look at ancient aliens and I'm like going through an existential crisis. Like, <laughs> rocking back like, and forth. This is a fucking documentary, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, because it's just like, you know, other people saying it fine. The Pentagon's like, yeah, we have some weird shit that didn't come from this planet. Like all right, now we got to give it a little more credibility that maybe there's something out there and they're zipping around the galaxy. And yeah. <laughs> I did hear Joe Rogan uh, give an updated, you know, he he can be sometimes a little conspiratorial, at least I think. Yeah. I mean, I love Joe Rogan. I listen to him all the time. Um, I, he listened to us too, by the way. Oh, he does? That's oh, cool. yeah. All of his crew. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> did you actually believe me? Damn it, I did. <laughs> I was like, no Shit, way. Wow. You're like, fuck. Hi, Joe. <laughs> you got me. Uh, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. The look on your face. Like, oh, shit. He believed me. Um, <laughs> yeah, he said that his perspective is uh, that he thinks it's uh, we're making shit, like that we have advanced technology that has been spotted um and we just have to like give an explanation right we have to give some it's almost like a throw off like, the russians oh it must be the ufo or something like that i mean it's actually a, american technology i mean that's just a theory that could be true too like i mean it's not like our government's exactly honest you know so wait what <laughs> <laughs> wait no it's the pharmaceutical companies and the government are always honest they're right. the pinnacle of truth right not, not greedy bastards. <laughs> Have I told you? So my fiance, she has cystic fibrosis, which she has a a fairly mild case, but like 
the medicine she has just to live a normal life. You wonder how much that is a month? How much? $30,000. She didn't have medical insurance. Are she wouldn't. Are you shitting me? And that's just for one of her pills. The other, she takes like enzymes because her stomach can't digest stuff. I think that's like 12000 or something a month. And it's just. Wow. I know it doesn't cost that much to make that stuff. Like maybe it does. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. it just seems like it's horribly that's, marked up. Wow. But yeah, that, that's a that's a big rabbit trail. Yeah, so. but no, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, I think it, it it's um, yeah. I mean, it's part of the culture. I mean, it's part of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I I think I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to call my my atheist friend and uh, Seth Andrews. And he runs his, what is his podcast? Uh, the Thinking Atheist. I think uh, I've actually heard of that. Oh, have you? Yeah. Oh, I they're all so. over the place. Yeah. The Thinking Atheist. Yeah. Well, we're going to give him a call here in just a minute and see what he thinks on atheism. I think it'll be, or on evolution. All right, Kyle. We're going to, we're going to give my friend Seth a call real quick and see. There's a couple questions. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask him. Yeah, too. for sure. He was, by the way, he was a, um, famous uh radio christian radio dj no way <laughs> down, down in tulsa hi this seth seth welcome to the timmy gibson show <laughs> <laughs> hey brother man good to hear your voice hey good to hear your voice i'm sitting here talking to my almost atheist friend <laughs> kyle <laughs> kyle Hass, who who I, so here's how i met him seth you'll find this entertaining so i do weddings him and his uh, fiance came to me to officiate their wedding. And in that conversation, he said, somehow it came out that he was like, well, I used to be a, an evangelical Christian and now I'm, you know, well, my, my fiance was concerned. I wasn't going to like you uh, oh. because <laughs> you put on your, your, uh, your website that you were, you spiritual, not religious. And uh, she was like, she kind of liked and stuff. And then we started talking and I'm like, yeah, you know, well, I told you all the thing. Like, I went to CBC. Now I'm not really a Christian. You were going to be a missionary. Yeah, I was going to be a missionary, and then, <laughs> boy, I can't be a missionary for bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> then the exact opposite happened, and we ended up clicking pretty well. So yeah. So so he, I've had him on the show, and I had him on today. We're we're talking about evolution and creation, and and just kind of where he started veering away from. Uh, the creation story, even though early on he really, his church didn't really teach it much. And as we were talking, I said, Oh my gosh, we got to call uh, Seth because <laughs> he he's, he's a full blown atheist. And I'm curious where, where he started di to diverge and what led him away from the creation story and, you know, Noah's Ark and shit. <laughs> and you know, there's so many layers to that onion. I don't know. Uh, Kyle, by the way, can you hear me? Okay. I'm, yeah, I can I'm, hear I'm you. I'll mark myself up. Well, you know, my own journey, like I'm not a biologist, so I began to, to finally read. See, I, I'm working on a new book project where we talk about, I was taught sort of the cartoon of evolution. We made fun of it. We didn't know anything about it. We'd never researched uh, primatology or, or how, you know, animal lives uh, were related genetically. We didn't look at the fossil record. You know, we didn't really know any of that. We, we just sort of laughed it off. Evolution, come on. I didn't come from a monkey. I didn't crawl out of the goop, right? <laughs> God's just crazy. How stupid is that? I'm not related to other animals. And, and so what we did was is that I, I just immediately dismissed it. Ironically, the whole time I'm 
standing outside the uh, avalanche of evidence for evolution. <laughs> I'm embracing, I'm just embracing wholeheartedly the story that my great ancestor was a dirt man. My mom was a, you know, my, my, the ancestor of my mother was a, a rib woman who were conjured <laughs> in an enchanted garden with talking snakes. And, you know, I, I mean, when you word it that way, it's kind of a badass story. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I bought it. Like, you know, I'd been taught from my early school. Well, of course, that makes sense. I couldn't tell you who wrote the book of Genesis. Nobody knows. There's not one person who's, who is alive who, who has any bead on who actually wrote it. They say, well, tradition says it was Moses. We don't have any evidence that even a Moses right. existed. So what I came to realize is that, you know, I'd never done my own thinking on Genesis. And I'd certainly never done my own thinking on whether or not we are evolved. And so I began to read and watch and finally listen to the people who were experts in their field, who had studied the fossil record, who had gotten into the human genome to discover our commonalities with all living things. And what's weird is that, you know, where before I had dismissed it, it had been a threat to my specialness because I used to think that, well, of course, I was an adopted child of the cosmic king, you know, um, uh, you know, and that made me feel special. I was a warrior in God's army. I was important enough for God to die on the cross for me, et cetera. And I, and I really felt like evolution, equating myself as an animal with other animals diminished me. But it, the opposite happened because when I began to realize my relationship to the living world, it was actually pretty amazing. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, 90, we are 99% genetically identical to chimpanzees. We didn't evolve from a monkey. We didn't come out of a monkey. We actually, uh, we and chimps have uh, common ancestors, you know, when the hominids begin to branch off. In fact, we are genetically closer to the chimp then chimpanzees are genetically related to gorillas. That's how much of a human primate we are. We meet all the criteria for an animal. I used to say, well, there's the human and then there are animals, those beneath us. Yeah. But if you <laughs> Not made if you look at, at the scientific definition of an animal, we have the organs of an animal, we reproduce like an animal, the way we eat and and have all of our body bodily functions. Sexual functions. sexual intimacy. Yeah. How we reproduce. <laughs> yeah. How we reproduce. These are we have commonalities with the animal kingdom because we are in fact the human primate. We are an animal. And uh, you know, man, as I got into those discoveries, I was just like, where has this information been? And of course, I came to the realization though, well, it's been there the whole time. <laughs> I was the one who was living in the cave, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was the one who was uh, like, eh, you know, I I was locked into a cocoon. Where I was taught capsule. to distrust the scientists, man. Yeah. You know, the science, they're all on a, they all meet in a big star chamber basement and they twirl their mustaches and cackle to themselves in the conspiracy to kill God. That's what scientists <laughs> are doing out there, you know? And it was finally, I'm like, you know, science is not a thing. It's not a noun. Science is a process. It's, it's a, it's always changing and evolving and adjusting and debunking and, and reasserting, you know, unlike religious dogma, science has to be prepared to change its mind when better information comes along, oh, yeah. which is why as we learn more about the stars, you know, we, as we learn more about our planet, as we learn more about life, science will change and update its findings 
because that's what science does. And when I was a religious person, I used to say, well, see, science is always changing. It can't make up its mind. And I'm like, well, actually, this is a good thing because it never closes its mind completely. Yes. It's always open to what the evidence tells us. And when it's wrong, you know, good science says, oh, let's make the update, man. Let's let's be more accurate. Where religious dogmas, they dig their heels in and say, oh, sorry, a truth is a truth is a truth and you'll never change us. You know? Yeah, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, yeah, but we yeah. have video of this. No, no, I don't care if it's not what the Bible says. I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to believe. Yeah, that's that's where I really began to diverge. And you'll, you'll be proud of me, Seth. I've been doing a lot of study and research on evolution to understand it more. Um, and, and it's making a lot more sense to me, especially as I, I, I understand a lot of how it was proposed to me, much like what you were saying earlier, um, has not proven to be true. Like that, that stereotypical picture of from chimpanzee and graduating, graduating, graduating up until you get the human. Well, that's not yeah. what evolution is either. Like that's not how it worked. Uh, no, it's that common chart everybody sees where you see the the you know the single-celled organism then you see the fish and then there's something that crawls out of the goop and then there's like a chimp and then there's a man and they're all lined up walking next to each other that's actually totally untrue that's right. not evolution evolution is a bushy branchy tree and it's extremely complicated and it's amazing to look at you know? and and beyond you know the overwhelming uh proofs that we are evolved creatures you know we see the transitional fossils we have the skulls that show the various uh, evolutions of the human primate from other primates, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, we have to ask the question, if we are intelligently designed, how intelligent is this design? And we, uh, Dr. Abby, Dr. Abby Hafer is an, uh, an evolutionary biologist and professor. She wrote a book about this called The Not-So-Intelligent Designer. And so we look at our bodies and we say, well, are we really all that intelligently designed? You know, the human eye has a cluster of blood vessels right in front of the optic nerve. We have a blind spot in our eyes and our brains have to essentially try to compensate for that. It doesn't make any sense right. if you think the eye is designed, but it makes perfect sense if you see the eye has evolved. Our esophagus is right next to the windpipe. Well, that makes no sense because you see, you know, hundreds of people choke to death every year when food gets caught in the wrong pipe. Other creatures have a better mechanism for breathing and then intaking food. Where does that come from? Why do the testicles, why are they exposed in a skin bag, a painful <laughs> skin bag on the outside of my body? Right. Like who, who made that? Well, they have Whose to be, idea was it? They have to be like a couple temperature points below our, our core <laughs> yeah, temperature yeah. Yeah. but other animals have their reproductive order, organs actually safely tucked inside the body like why did the designer give us that nipples on men you know are <laughs> 85 percent, like 85 percent of people in first world countries have to have their wisdom teeth taken out well the explanation obviously is that our jaws are not as elongated as the jaws of our primate ancestors so the wisdom teeth get impacted in there we have to have them extracted that makes no sense i mean one thing after the other as we look at examples of design that's it's not good design like there are better ways to do it and so uh, you know the intelligent design crowd all their work is really cut out for them um, these questions are answered best if we see ourselves as evolved creatures, you know, uh, another great example in the animal kingdom and forgive the long diatribe. Oh, here, I love it. 
uh, like the giraffe. You know, God intelligently designed all the animals in their present form. Well, the giraffe has a laryngeal nerve, and it only has to go about 12 inches in their throat. But instead, it travels 14 feet, goes all the way down, wraps around the heart, and has to go all the way back up the neck. Well, this makes no sense unless you realize that the giraffe evolved from other creatures, earlier creatures that had a, a shorter distance to, to follow. Whales have pelvic bones. They don't have legs, but they have pelvises for legs. This makes only makes sense if we see the whale as it evolved from earlier animals. There are blind creatures with eyes. You've got blind fish that have eyes. They can't see anything, but they have eyes. You know, we have uh, animals that, that have wings but cannot fly. Like the ostrich has wings. The most it can fly is it can jump three fen three to over a fence, but it can't fly. You know, it only makes sense if you see them as evolved from other earlier creatures. And we are the same way. We hold a lot of these characteristics of other animals in our bodies. In fact, our uh, like the hairs all over our body, all this useless hair. This is a this, this is an evolutionary leftover from a time when we needed hair yeah. to help insulate us against the weather. The goosebumps that actually raise the hair on our arms and the back of our neck, these are from specific muscles that raise the hair up to keep us warm, but they also cause the fur to elongate out to make us appear larger against threats. You know, if we yeah. were about to be attacked, it made us larger. I mean, there are so many explanations for all the things in our body that creationism doesn't explain, but our relationship to an evolved life on planet Earth, it totally does, you know? Yeah. So where, where is the, the, when it comes to the things that, that science hasn't either answered yet, which I'm sh very sure I would be shocked. I'm, I, I, Kyle did not know this. I'm sure Seth knows this about the web telescope that's launching on December 22nd. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's going to, yeah, it's a hundred times better than the Hubble uh, telescope. And so it's going to peer into our past and give us more information on, you know, e evolution, uh, life on other planets and so forth. Anyway, when I was thinking about, you know, the reason I called you, cause I was sitting here talking to, to Kyle about this, um, where the things that science can't explain, like where life, you know, originates, I guess. And then yeah, also yeah. the whole story, the question of consciousness, um, you know, there are those mysteries that are still out there that no one knows, but yeah. I think religion attempts to say they know and, and that, and so where I feel comfortable. So I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm kind of a Christian agnostic or agnostic Christian. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still in that zone of, uh, believing that there's something it just makes more sense to me that there's something but i i i uh you know i obviously i call you all the time i, I respect your thoughts and your journey and the information that you've learned so where yeah. when someone like me that inserts god in those areas where science can't answer um what what is your thought on that like where does life originate like where does it are we that special and i feel like yeah, God doesn't make me special. I think we're special just because of the consciousness, like, and, you know, we're ruling the world. You know, yeah, we're the highest yeah. of all the animal kingdom, I think. I mean, at least from my understanding. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we're, you know, we're dominant until, like, if you want to swim in a vat of sharks, uh, you know, you're not going to be dominant if you uh, end up walking into a, 
to a, a the you know Alliance jungle game. home of of gorillas, you're not going to be dominant. But as, right. I get what you mean. We've advanced in technology to allow dominance over the. Have I put Kyle to sleep? No, you know, no, you're, you're, you're not. <laughs> okay, because you know it's what happens when you call a radio host. <laughs> no, he was no, excited. Uh, he said he's actually. Uh, I think I've heard of you before. The thinking um, atheist. Yeah, I mean, I host that show, so I mean, it's out there for anybody who's interested. Regarding the the like, first of all, if you are a proponent of science with your feet planted in the real world, the answer I don't know is an honest answer, and in many cases, it's yeah. the right answer. Like abiogenesis, meaning we don't know where the first cell came from, the first cell of life. Nobody knows. We have no idea. Science does not know. And so, if you're going to be honest. You have to say that. Like, yeah. I, we don't know yet. We don't know. We we are hoping one day to be able to discover what exactly happened. But the difference between that and, say, a theistic religion and maybe the any of the Abrahamic religions, they just take that blank and they go, okay, God, G-O-D, our specific God with a proper name did this. Well, that comes with a burden of proof. You got to prove that that, that happened. How did the universe begin? Who spun these trillion planets into motion? We don't know. We, we can trace the singularity back to that Big Bang where the universe expanded outward from a central point. We've been able to use things like the telescope and measuring gravitational waves, et cetera, to be able to see the expansion of the universe, measure the times involved and all that. But what set that in motion? We don't no, and I'll tell you this, if a pastor is behind the podium and he says he does know, he doesn't. He, right. If an apologist writes a book and they tell you that they know, they don't. Yeah. And it's okay. It's not always satisfying because we hate gaps in our knowledge. We hate not being sure. Yeah. But the honest way to approach a lot of the stuff is say, I don't know, you know. And we want to know. We're going to pursue it. We're going to try to figure it out. But until then, the, the right answer is, eh, you know, it's still a blank. Let's keep asking. Let's keep kicking the tires. Now, as far as consciousness, there are two minds. Well, there are more, but there's two main mindsets. There's the monist and the dualist. The dualist believes that the brain and the mind are different. Like uh, there is, um, you know, the brain is the physical organ, but how we think and how we feel in our consciousness is kind of a separate thing. It's separate from the physical organ of the brain. Right. I'm not a dualist. I, I think I see the brain as consciousness is the result of the electrical impulses of the brain, the calculations of the organ of the brain. And when so I you're die, with Richard Dawkins on that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't and I have a reasoning for that. And I'll tell you what it is in just a second. But I, I, I'm convinced I'm not. Well, let's just say I'm not convinced that anything other than this happens when I die. The electrical firings, the neurons of my brain, that stops. Consciousness will then stop. And I will stop. I will not. I don't have – I can't disprove that I might not live on, but I haven't been given any really good reason to to think that. I, You know, if it happens, great. You know, I love yeah. surprises. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but – but Dr. Julian Mussolino, he's a neuroscientist. He wrote a book called The Soul Fallacy, and he made a really interesting observation about the brain. People like to talk about the soul like it's its not a scientific question. You can't talk about the soul and science. The soul is supernatural. The soul is other out there. 
But the truth is, is that people say that the soul does all of these important and critical things. It, it drives us, it motivates us, it, it, it informs our identities. It is who we are. Well, that's a scientific question. So if a soul existed, we would be able to do measurements of the brain, MRIs and brain scans, et cetera. We'd be able to see something that was driving the forces of identity and character and decision and all these things within the brain. If it really is who we are and what we do, then it should be measurable in some way. We should be able to see a source yeah. even outside the brain. But we don't see that. We only see the workings of the brain itself. And for that reason, I only say I, I, I think that the brain is itself a mechanism, a computer. But I, I have no reason to believe in an other supernatural mind beyond it. We can also kind of pinpoint places in the brain that are responsible for certain personality characteristics. And, uh, yeah. So like my, me and my fiance, we both work in the medical field and she uh, she's a cardiovascular perfusionist. And so she puts people on bypass and uh, basically, you know, kind of becomes their heart and lungs. And uh, this has to deal with oxygen getting to the brain. And so there's something that they call pump head. Essentially, it's something that can happen when you come off pump, uh, you know, off bypass, that uh, alters your personality. And so she gave an example of a sweet old lady who went on bypass. Her surgery was successful. She came off, and she was just an asshole to everybody in the room. <laughs> she just had this complete personality switch. And you know, there's also a pretty big correlation with, because I like true crime, uh, serial killers and traumatic brain injuries. And so. Yeah. The fact that we can pinpoint certain personality characteristics and personality changes in terms of damage on the brain and, you know, if there is something transcendent about our mind, uh, it's still very arcane because it definitely seems like the brain is in control of our personality. We can modify the way we think in our personality by damaging certain parts of the brain. And, of course, when the brain dies, yeah. consciousness dies with it, even if our body well, still and, alive. You know, Another shade to that, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I know somebody who had a, a near-death experience or they were dead on the table for five minutes and they saw the white light and they and they saw their dead grandma and Jesus and the clouds and all that <laughs> stuff, you know. And, you know, I, I get that. I get that. But, I mean, we've determined that uh, what happens uh, what happens when the brain is deprived of oxygen? You can probably speak this as well to this as well as anybody, but you know, hypoxia, the lack of oxygen to the brain, it actually fires in hallucinations of things like the white light. It triggers memories of people that we knew and it speaks to things that we believed and thought about. And the brain, all those things are firing in these funky ways when the brain is hypoxic. And so again, we have a prop a more reliable, a more probable scientific explanation than I flew out of my body and transported into another world out there in space and saw dead people, you know, and, uh, you know, are, do some people feel cheated by that? Maybe, you know, if you really want to believe, and I understand that, you know, you really want to be special and you want to be reunited in the afterlife with the people that you loved and lost and, and all these other reasons. I mean, there are so many good mechanisms that I think keep people in that bubble of belief. And I totally understand them. But what we want and what is true or what is demonstrable, those aren't necessarily the same things. And that's kind of where I shake out on that. Wait, no streets of gold, Seth? You're shattering my dreams, my hopes. Uh, you know <laughs> you know what? I, I had a pastor once. 
he did a sermon and he was, you know, he's this Bible literalist, this Baptist dude, this constipated suit, you know, and he's <laughs> on stage. And he's, he actually told people, and they had their young children in the congregation. He said, you know what? Only those with a soul go to heaven. So unfortunately, everybody, dogs will not join you in heaven. And I thought, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to go. My dogs are not there. I'm out. Yeah, you fuck know? that place. I, I heard kind of a... Plus, if you, if you think about heaven in the sense of the biblical heaven, and you ask everybody about heaven, they're all going to have different interpretation, different idea what it is. But essentially, heaven is we just go up and kiss God's ass forever. Like <laughs> we are, we are at God's feet, and we just sing, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come." And we just spend eternity telling God how awesome He is. And I think <laughs> he sounds like an egotistical maniac. <laughs> uh, I think what what that that just seems horrible. <laughs> Plus. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I, and and there's one last point I'll make and then I'll shut my pie hole here. But um, you know, there's also a thinking that in eternity a life that isn't eternal, why bother? Like why would I bother why bother living if you don't think there's a heaven you're gonna live on forever? And I just think that's crazy. Yeah. Honestly, an eternal life would it would devolve into this sort of banal numbing slog like you <laughs> never you'd never die you you everything that would be accomplished would be accomplished everything that could be said would be said there's nothing there are no surprises there's no urgency but you know if we don't know that there is an afterlife or a heaven and we think well this is it we're on the clock but we got to make the time matter i think that adds a real sense of urgency too, to yeah. this life Man, let's love who you love and, and set the goal and pursue the dream and do the things and, and, you know, make the most of every moment because, you know, we don't have any evidence that there's a tomorrow, you know, carpe diem seize the day. And that's added a real sense of joy and urgency to my own life today. Me too. And in fact, the thought of, you know, I'd get a car and within two years, that car is old to me. I'm like, <laughs> I don't, streets of gold aren't going to entertain me for more than a couple days. <laughs> like, wow, what, what else is there to do up here? This is getting fucking boring as shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a real wonder. I think when we see ourselves, you know, we're the lucky ones. We, we are, we exist, you know, we were born and we have a relationship. I mean, not just animal life, genetically, we have, we're related to all life, including yeah. plant life. I know, I know that Christians will flip out if I say that, no, there's no way I'm related to plant, but yes, we are all related. All life yeah. is genetically connected. And I think the more we begin to understand our world and the more we decode these things, the less the magical stories are relevant, the less we need them, and the more we can really tie into the magic of the real world. Yeah. Kyle, do you have anything you wanted to say uh, before I, I let Seth? Uh, just, a, I guess, a few things uh, maybe that you would find interesting. We kind of already talked about. So like you talked about how chimpanzees were more different than gorillas than to us, um, which I found I didn't know that specifically, but I did learned recently and this kind of i guess flushes out our evolutionary history a little more uh, a few months ago i want to say they found uh, an australopithecine uh, with shoulders that were more akin to that of a gorilla and so they found that our common ancestor between chimps and humans was more gorilla-like not necessarily an actual gorilla but 
I don't know. I just, that was kind of one thing that popped into my head as you were talking. And then we also talked a little bit about abiogenesis. And I was wondering if there was a guy who did experiments, I think in the 1900s, and he was able to sort of replicate organic matter in a manner that would have been similar to what happened on on early earth. Do you know anything about that? No, I I don't. I know that the the question still remains a big question mark for modern day science. But again, you know, if you compare what we know now to what we knew 50 years ago, oh my god, I mean, you know, yeah. So what will we have discovered in another 50 years? We live in an exciting time, Seth. I I have, you know, you and I are the same age. Kyle's a young little little kid here, but uh, <laughs> you know, you and I remember before you know cell phones, before internet, social media, before you know all this shit, before podcasts. And to see, you know, just how much we've evolved and changed with technology. I, I mean, I can't even imagine where we're going to be and what we will discover and know in 25 years, 50 years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just yeah. exponential. I mean, you know, it's it's just however many, what, hundred, couple hundred years ago that we started flying and now we fucking put a person on the moon and have rovers on Mars. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah, it's insane. Amazing. So I'm, and I think we've also evolved like in terms of being more civilized. I mean, we talk about how insane the world is and it is crazy. Yeah. But, you know, this the good old days are a myth. I mean, even the mid 20th century, you know, we were doing fallout shelter drills because people were worried about nukes getting dropped on us. Yeah. And we had separate water fountains for people of color and we you know women couldn't vote till the 1930s. And we hell, we owned yeah. other people as as slaves until the early 19, I mean, late uh, 19th century. So you you look at us and you think we are, we are becoming better. I know that it's hard to believe that when in the age of the internet and real time awfulness jammed into our eyeballs. Yeah. (laughs) I do. But I mean, you know, this idea that, you know, and the more we know, the more we understand, honestly, the better, usually the better we become. And, so I'm excited. And I think, you know, the big thing is, is let's keep our minds open enough that uh, we don't dismiss new information when it comes at us. And let's be honest with ourselves enough. So even if it's inconvenient and uncomfortable, we're prepared to accept the data that makes sense. And, uh, you know, and if it changes or updates, we have to be prepared to change or update our positions with it because that's what an honest life looks like, you know. Yeah. But we can take the magical stories of, you know, dirt man and rib woman and the talking animals and the 900 year old humans and the blood magic and the people living inside fish and all the shit that's in the Bible. We can take that off the table. We know that's crap. We know it's bogus. And we can move on to other more relevant, and more important questions in regard to where we came from and where we're going. I love it. Seth, thank you so much for your time. Don't forget, everybody check out his podcast, The Thinking Atheist. He's also on YouTube books. He's got a bunch of stuff. Seth, you're a good friend. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. No, it's nice to meet you, Kyle, and thanks for uh, letting me play along with the big kids. We'll catch you later. <laughs> nice right, to meet you. See too. you, man. All right, bye. All right, bye-bye. Well, that was cool having having uh, yeah. Seth on here. Um, is there anything that he that he uh, would you resonate with what he was saying? Yeah, especially with the uh, you know we come to a place of we don't have an answer, and I think you know a lot of times we feel the need to put an answer in there, but it's okay to say I don't know and. Yeah. I think that was kind of the big wrestling point for me when I first kind of started on this sort of path is that I don't need to always have an answer and looking at something and saying, I don't know, 
initially was maybe kind of scary, but now there's a, a bit of excitement to it because there's still a sense of adventure. There's still a sense of, you know, there's so much more we get to learn and study and develop. And, yeah. you know, I think when you have a book that just says it all and that's the answer and that's that, you know, yeah, that kind of viable. It's not, well, and it also kills wonder, you oh, know, gotcha. uh, I, I think when I stepped away, the world became a lot bigger because now there were all these things I didn't know and I didn't have to put everything into a box. And I'm not saying that every Christian does that necessarily, sure. but you know, it, it was initially a kind of scary time because like he talked about your sense of self-worth is so wrapped up in the thought that, you know, your life actually has like this cosmic purpose, not just the purpose a you give. Divine it. Yeah. purpose. Right. And that's like, you know, that that makes you that's feel awesome. really good. Yeah. Now I'm there's fucking a big deal. Yeah. Now there's also a lot of pressure, I think, there too. And I've seen a lot of people within my age group almost get immobilized by that pressure because it's almost a standard that's impossible to live up to, it feels like sometimes. And you know, I felt like I put my life on hold in a lot of ways to realize my true purpose and my true calling and threw myself into situations that I was honestly just not happy in, yep. you know? And so there's a trade-off that happens for sure. I don't have the same sense of purpose I had before, but I have a greater sense of freedom and wonder. Yeah. And I can also do things that I enjoy without having to feel guilty about yep. them. Like, you know, I want to get drunk on a Saturday. I can get drunk on a Saturday. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to, you know, have sex with my girlfriend I can have sex with my girlfriend and it's not And you do these things and you realize like for most people, like they're like, you know, sexaholics and, you sure. know, alcoholics and things like that. But for most people, I would say that's not the case and they can enjoy these things. And even the people who can't, you know, there's probably a genetic component there, but there's also probably something deeper going on. And yes. so it's not, you know, you don't have to just sign out a life anymore. It feels yeah. like and you, there aren't these experiences you have to label as, bad or wrong and i don't know i there's the whole modesty debate in christian circles right and i saw a friend post up about it and she's a feminist christian and she was kind of on the side of women should wear what they want and what they like and i totally agree i don't yeah, i don't give a shit but yeah. you know you look at men in these christian circles and you're telling them, hey, this feeling that you have, this lustful sensation, that's wrong. And there is no acceptable gratification for it prior to marriage. So ridiculous. Well, and on top of that, what do you think that's going to do to them, right? Like, that's going to fuck, fuck them up. Them. Yeah, it's going to fuck with their head. And they're going to, you know, say a whole bunch of ridiculous shit. I mean, like, I think we could probably minimize sexism in some ways and objectification as, you know, if we just tackled the issue that you can beat off if you want to. Right. Right. Like That's a normal, natural so thing. So touch yourself. Right. And yeah. you can have sex and you don't have to repress all these feelings and feel guilty for them. And making people do that, like, I'm not a psychologist, but that seems like the perfect sort of atmosphere to create people who are going to end up crossing boundaries. Well, because, it's just, I mean, the case in point, in Europe, when I was there in 2019 with my son and uh, my ex, and uh he could drink he every restaurant went and he's oh, he yeah. was how old was he at the time 18 yeah 19, i think in whatever. germany you have to be like 15 or 16 or something like that yeah we were in germany too yeah so he could sit at dinner and order 
a drink and they have less alcoholism. Right. Because they introduce it in a way that is healthy. You know, it's, it's not this. Taboo Don't touch thing. it. Don't touch right. it. Don't touch it. No one is a fucking problem. Yeah. You keep telling me not to touch it. It makes me want to touch it. Right. <laughs> Which it should, I guess really the point of that is fine that you're touching it. it. What, what that produces, what you're talking about and what was the biggest piece of my, the most difficult part of my journey as of late in the last five years is overcoming and working through the guilt and the shame. Now I don't live that way. I'm right. single. I live single. I act single and I have zero shame, zero guilt. Um, and I can't even tell you how free it feels to, to just live morally, but not morally based upon like a Christian right. narrative of what morality is like, don't touch it. Don't think about it. Don't do anything until you're married. No, that is so, uh, yeah, I'm so against that. I think it's just crazy town. I mean, it became, I don't know. Like, obviously I masturbated and looked at porn when I was a Christian. Of course. You know, there's, I think the statistic eight out of 10 people in the church look at pornography yeah. and two out of 10 lied about it. You yeah, know, they had gay porn back then. <laughs> oh wait that's right you're marrying a girl yeah i no. saw you and your roommate from cbc <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Oh my god no yeah. <laughs> hey man you know you you get on one of those weird trails on pornhub and then suddenly you're looking at trannies banging it out and you're like well i'm already here so i might as well finish <laughs> Boy. Wait, donkeys can do that? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that a golden retriever? Holy shit. You, yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I go to those videos on Pornhub. <laughs> my friend, one time my friend was talking about, he called me the other day and he goes, he goes, man, I just spent like 45 minutes. He goes, he goes, he goes, have you ever got a video that leads to another video, to another video, to another video? He goes, by the end of it, he goes, I was watching squirrels fuck house cats it's like i can't quit watching all this shit oh my gosh i mean but hey you know well bestiality not to each their own but right you know everything else i don't really care <laughs> again maybe incest not so great right but, which know. is the that's the christian story adam yeah. and eve's kids had to have how right? else right there, unless there were other people you, there, the only option you had was your sister or your sister or your sister yeah yeah or, so know. truly the best dating that you could have was at the family reunion it was the best pickup <laughs> place ever. well and i think there is a part where one of the patriarchs of the bible is like go here your cousin lives there knock knock that bitch up you know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, now isn't it true that i i could be wrong but in my 40 30 40 hours of watching on evolution stuff this week one of the things I came across, I thought it was fascinating that one, one of during one of the cataclysmic events, and there's been multiple cataclysmic events, seven extinction events or something like that. I, I don't know the exact number. And they think that we're on one now and we're the cause of it. We're the, right. we're the seventh or the eighth extinction right. event, but um, that humanity possibly could have been down to uh, thousands yeah, globally, I, I think I heard about that, too. And there's also evidence within our genetics, like there are a whole bunch of genetics that died out that are no longer existent in the pop 
no longer exists in the current population. Other species of human, like the Neanderthal? No, our species. Oh, 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 yeah. oh really? Um, or that mostly have died out. They found, I think, a guy in Africa that had like some rare and ancient genetics that somehow made it through. But for the most part, like our X and Y chromosome, they only come from two people that lived. I don't remember how long ago, but it was all, more. All of us have, have the, a common ancestor. Yeah, and well, we true. all share the same X and Y chromosome. So there were other X and Y chromosomes, but at some point. So we have a man and woman that we essentially come from. Yeah, and I don't, I don't really know Maybe how that's they. That's what the story of Adam and Eve is. Not literally about, literally the first two humans, but our first two descendants. Right, right, and I, you know, I don't remember how far back that was, or who they were, or how that came to be exactly, or why. I mean, why specifically? Because I doubt we were down to just two people. And so I'm not oh, sure. Oh, exactly. Right. They were just talking about the air. Whoever wrote the story of Genesis was living in only in their re right. region after some kind of a cataclysm. I'm making this shit up, but I mean, just in my mind, how I can make sense of it is that it's not at all what the Bible story is at all. Um, but in my mind, how I can make it make sense based upon like the Noah story, which I don't believe is true, but it's based on a truth, a global flood or a, 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 some kind of a cataclysmic event younger dryas i don't know if you study all that kind of stuff a little bit but, yeah. you know about happened which is what put atlantis under if atlantis it really right. existed some twelve thousand years ago or whatever so that to me would make sense more than taking the bible just as it's saying that literally adam and eve were the first two ever humans ever ever to exist existed no no um but well, maybe the yeah. first our you know, common ancestor, like the two people that we come from. I think science even calls those that couple Adam yeah, and Eve. Yeah, I I'm not remember. sure. And I, you know, I don't even know if they're necessarily a couple. I there's a, a show on YouTube that a friend uh, kind of turned me on to called uh, Eons, and it's by PBS. And uh, oh yeah, I watched a lot of their videos. Yeah, they explain a lot, and they talked about how you know our X and Y chromosome comes from only two people, but they didn't really. I can't really remember the explanation as to why those only two permeated through the population. And those are the only two that now exist. Um, but I remember reading somewhere else that, you know, it, it could have been likely due to the fact that a lot of these older genetics, they didn't fall out of favor because of competition, but it could have been a mass extinction event. Yeah. So, yeah. And we have some evidence of that. So like, we are talked about as being the new extinction event. And a lot of times they think it starts with like the megafauna. Um, but megafauna went extinct in the new world before people were here or very many people were here anyway. And so there was probably at the end of the ice age flooding and climate change and things that wiped out probably a huge portion of the population. And, I don't know. I kind of feel like a lot of it can't really be blamed on us explicitly. Like obviously currently now, like with global warming and climate change and things we're doing, we're kind of speeding up that process. You know, uh, I almost made a joke about when he was like, well, if you jump into, you know, a, a pool with sharks, like you're dead. And I'm like, yeah, but our carbon emissions are fucking them up better than we're fucking yeah. them up. You know? so, <laughs> uh, but I lost my train of no, thought. No, that's fine. So <laughs> as I'm as I'm thinking in, in my mind about um just evolution and um 
the, you know, going back to the two, the, the, the couple, you know, that, that we, that we come from. And then even thinking about some of the things that Seth was saying about, you know, if, if there is an intelligent designer, you know, she or he has, I mean, let's be honest, has done a, a little bit of a weird job on designing, you know, and, and then, which brings me to the Christian thing, which I'm curious what your thoughts on this are. Cause I, you know, I have such a mind shift, oddly enough, you talked about the brain earlier, my brain's all over the place, by the way, <laughs> but you talk about how injury to the brain can cause you to you know, be a different person. <laughs> when I first started on this journey, people literally thought you should go get a, a, a scan because you might have a tumor or something. Right. Like they, they literally were like, how What's is wrong? this possible? Yeah. You're, you're literally changing so much. Um, but, oh, thinking about the design things, things that Seth was saying, I, I find it interesting that if there is a grand designer and if he does really love us, you know, I still go back to the same thing that I've said before, which is, you know, how did he or she allow then the tornadoes in Kentucky and Missouri and all the stuff to kill all those people? You know, how does how does this divine creator that loves us so much, why does he allow children to die of starvation? Why does he allow children to die of cancer? Why does he allow there to be any fucked upness in the human experience? Like what? what the fuck like if if you do really care like fix some shit right like do I, do your fucking job like do some shit in the i guess the you could say the twilight of my christianity the as the sun was setting and probably because i came up with this explanation and it is in the bible is that one it's the result of the fall right it's our fallen nature two god doesn't love everybody and oh, it, it's in it's in Psalms. God hates workers of iniquity, ah. and so you are only You're giving in, me that ev evangelical answer. Yeah, 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 you know, you are a sinner. God hates you. That's why He's going to send you to hell for eternity. Right. That's why He doesn't care if a tornado comes and wipes you out. And also, the fallen nature of the earth directly fell with us. So you know, we can say Adam and Eve fucked it up for everybody, but they're also they exist as a metaphor for all of mankind. That none of us would do anything different, and that. This is what the world is like when it's left to us. And so God just kind of let it be that way and let us die. And he doesn't interfere because we're innately evil. So if you let evil things die, is it really evil of you? Eh, not really. Now, of course, you know, you come to that conclusion. And I think that's also, that's the correct biblical answer. But then you let it ruminate in your head for a little bit and you're like, it makes no fucking sense. Why did I believe, you know, that that's, that's a hard pill to swallow that I deserve eternal damnation because I beat off too much or someone else it turns deserves eternal damnation because they transitioned from man to woman or because they had sex with the same gender or because they smoked Born pot. Man. Right. Right. And it's just like, no, that we have a concept that the punishment should fit the crime. Right. That's something that we can kind of even innately understand. That's something we maybe didn't effectively implement as far right. back as like the Code of Hammurabi, but we still had a logical understanding of, hey, if someone cuts you off in traffic, you don't kill their entire entire family. Right. right? That that's a disproportional do, reason. But most people don't. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm not gonna drive around you. Uh, <laughs> but you know, that's a severely disproportional response, and it's. It's this weird way of looking at God and 
Well, because even think about it, you and I both grew up into this pretense, which was, well, yeah, that doesn't make sense to you or me, but God's ways are above our ways. In other words, if God says something that's bad is good, then it is good. Well, in other words, God is above and beyond what we would think is just or what we would think is fair. God lives in a whole nother realm, right? Beyond time, beyond all this stuff. And when I hear that, I'm like, that is fucking bullshit. (laughs) If something's fucking not good, it's fucking not good. I don't care what God says at all. Well, and the weird thing to me is like, so now I see it as bizarre. But of course, socialization is so strong that like I could still feel good and worship God, even though if you look at the relationship between God and his children, it's an entirely abusive relationship. You're a piece of shit. The only way that makes you good is if you love me and you do what I say. And if you don't, I'm going to stick you in hell for all eternity. And if you do, you get to worship me for all eternity. And so it's like, yeah. It, the biblical perspective of God, if you step back and just kind of look as look at it for what it is, God seems kind of like a sociopath. Yep. And but when you're a Christian, you feel good about that. And that's how strong socialization is. Like I remember feeling good about it. I remember, yeah. you know, I loved worship. I was the kid at CBC who stayed after the service for an hour and continued praying. Like I was the spiritual one. <laughs> you were an overachiever. I was. Uh, I've got the most. My junior year anyway. But uh, the other two years, I was too busy playing video games. Um, anyway, like it's just, it's this bizarre thing. And I don't know, something that I kind of wanted to bring up at some point was uh, a function in our brains called identity protective cognitive dissonance. And so, when we have this deeply set belief, even if we're presented with information, such as maybe evolution, if I mean, I know a lot of Christians kind of compensate and incorporate that, but, or, you know, the earth isn't flat, it's round. Because we've invested so much of our identity, so much of our external relationships, so much of our value system in it, almost on this sort of instinctual level, we oppose the change. Because if we accept it as true, then we have to change and uproot everything about us. And that process can be painful, as yes. both you and I know. And so I think for a lot of people, there is something going on in their head that it makes it very difficult for them to change their mind. Because if they do, they're not really sure what they're going to have. And it was weird for me as I was going through it is like, I spent $60,000. I kept playing that over and over in my head. I'm $60,000 in debt, and I'm, I'm going to have nothing to show for it. I felt like a failure. And so that like that thought was in my head, but it didn't connect in the same way that like you would think it would connect. Like I didn't believe, and I kept believing largely because of that fact and some other factors. But if you were to ask me why I kept believing, I wouldn't say that. No. And... I would be sincere in that answer, even though it wasn't accurate. Right. And so there is just this sort of, you know, cognitive disconnect. Right. And I think that there are probably a lot of people in Christian circles where they're wrestling and they don't really know how to reconcile everything. So they try and they incorporate all these different things in the Bible that aren't there as a means to justify to protect their identity. To protect their identity and modernize their views. Yeah. Because I, you know, like I talk about with my generation, like 
they're less homophobic than previous generations and that's including in the church and so you know they they know that saying gay people deserve eternal damnation don't get to get married all that they know in their head that's not okay right right something's fucked up about yeah that. That, that's a little fucked up they just don't know how to necessarily incorporate it into the bible and there are lots of different ways that they've tried yeah and so well because they feel they take the word of god as the word of god or they take the, excuse me let me rephrase that they take the bible as the word of god which i don't but that's so it's like well it's in there black and white it says that it's wrong right so they feel it conflicts with the Bible that they tout as the word of God. So it conflicts, but it's wild how I've seen Christianity evolve so much too, just on, you know, interracial marriage. I mean, I'm old enough. I remember that that was preached against tattoos, long hair on men, earrings, like everything, all of me, everything about me (laughs) was preached against. You're, you're not, you're not, you, there's There's no no way I could be saved. No, not now. No (laughs) repenting for you. You'd have to shave your head and go through hours of tattoo removal. (laughs) Yeah. And even then a lot of money, I don't know. (laughs) God be, Oh, sorry. You got a tattoo of me on your forearm (laughs) and that ain't going to work. Something you said earlier brought up another thought in my mind how conflicting a lot of the perspectives that Christians think that they have that is so, I don't know the word, you you could maybe speak into this once I blurb this out, but it's like in the Bible, you have, you know, Christians worship a God that opened up the fucking earth, swallowing men, women, and innocent children. And you're against abortion. (laughs) Like, I just like, like my mind can't wrap around how there's this huge disconnect because going back to what you said earlier is how we would answer that. Like I, I used to have all the answers for all this, like everything I'm, everything I say and believe now I have the answer, my evangelical brain still in there. Right. And I could tell you just like you did, I could rattle off what I would say. But it doesn't make sense when you really look at it honestly and rationally that God is the one in the Bible. He does seem to be misogynistic, psychopathic, uh, uh, bipolar. I mean, there's so many things that doesn't make sense. God can do those things because he's sinless. and that's the part that is so that's the back it doesn't make flip. any sense it doesn't right. make any sense well that's god god can do whatever he wants right he can god. he can punish the wicked because he's not wicked whereas if we punish the wicked we're wicked so we're hypocrites <laughs> but it's like Wait, but by say that again that's so good say yeah, that again he can punish the wicked because he's not wicked but if we punish the wicked we're hypocrites because we are wicked well here's the thing here's what i really struggle with going back to, again there's so many things that you say that i'm like oh i want to unpack this so you be you say we're we're fallen, you know, because of Adam and Eve's sin. We're fallen. We're corrupt. That's what's wrong with the world. That's where disease and sickness comes from. That's what I used to teach. I used to teach all this. Okay, fine. I don't believe that, but let's just say, let's just for a second here, let's just entertain this argument. So then, when you become a fucking Christian and accept the perfect person of Jesus into your life then it should eradicate all imperfection and all problems then. 
it doesn't make sense to me that Adam and Eve, who I never met, I never knew they're so far in history. Like I'm again, I'm playing the devil's app or I'm playing on the team here. Fuck those people. (laughs) Fuck them for putting eternal judgment on me because of your fucking desire to eat that apple. Well, it always boggled my mind that there, and there's a scripture about this. I can't think of where it is exactly, but you know, through one man's sin, Adam and Eve all have sinned. But then it goes on to say, but through one man's righteousness, all are made righteous. Talking about Jesus. Right. Well, I don't have to believe or confess or anything in Adam and Eve's sin for it to be given to me. To you know, to be right. put, make me a sinner. Right. But, but the then I have to is... that, yeah, but forgiveness entails me confessing, believing, and doing this and doing all this bullshit. When we say it's not by works lest any man can boast, fuck you. <laughs> yes, it does take work. I have to believe in something that's totally <laughs> unbelievable and yeah. confess something that's not well, but even then when I do that, it doesn't fix shit. I think so I always wrestled with like everything that Paul wrote because I think he is also wrestling with everything you said, right? I think he heard all these stories. He had some psychedelic experience on the road to Damascus. Some mushrooms is what yeah. happened. Some DMT. <laughs> and then he writes all these like Romans, honestly, like if you read that, it almost seems like a con it's kind of a clusterfuck. Oh, it's contradicting and- to him like he contradicts himself and it seems like he he says things that don't really always make sense and even as a christian there was like a part of me that's like should this guy even really be in the bible (laughs) well that's debatable yeah it is and like to me it's like these are like sermons that your pastor put in and they somehow got in the bible because he's writing letters to the churches they are literally sermons and admonitions and all this so it's not like they wrote Jesus said this, like the Gospels. It's literally some guy's sermons directed specifically to the actions of a particular church. And, but just the way he writes and the way he finagles things around and the way he explains things, it seems like he's trying to put together pieces of a puzzle that don't fit. Right. And I think, you know, kind of what you're wrestling with was the same thing he was wrestling with. And it just, I think people on some level have tried to make sense of it for 2,000 years. And, because so much of it, right? Kyle, well, it doesn't make sense. Well, and why would it? Like, you know, that's you, not how the world works. But and you got like how many different people writing books in the Bible, compiling these stories, having their own different thought processes, and so you know, you have all these different opinions in the Bible, some of which may contradict, some of which didn't even get included into the canon, and. Yeah, expecting it to always make sense is almost a hopeless endeavor because it's not. Yeah. Because why would it? Right. You know, it's like if How you wrote could it. Yeah. If you wrote something and then I wrote something and we both put our own thoughts and interpretations in, you know, even if God's infallible, we're not. And people wrote the Bible. Like and that's not not to say that for the most part it is I've we learned that like all the different manuscripts, like the inerrancies and things like that, they're not huge, but they do exist. Right. And so like, it's still an impressive work in that. Right. Sure. But, oh, I think most scholars, even atheist scholars right. think it's a masterpiece, right? Kind of right. Or I would, I don't, I don't know, but yeah. uh, it's definitely an awesome antiquity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're reading a piece of history. That, right. That's always cool. Right. But, you know, I, I think like Christians, when they hear what I'm saying, they get super defensive. And to me, and atheists sometimes maybe are like, yeah, your, your religion's stupid. But it's like, 
no, this is what makes sense. This is right. sensibly what would happen. And it's, it's nothing more malicious or vindictive than that. Yeah. It's just lots of people compiled it. It's not always going to make sense when you have a lot of chiefs and not a lot of Indians, as they say. And yeah. so, well, man, I think I appreciate you coming in today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited about doing a regular monthly show with you. Yeah. I'd be willing Talk to do about that. Spiritual shit. I love it. Good. I love it. All right, man. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, no problem.